This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. A warning, this episode contains explicit language. They Clone Tyrone is an enjoyable sci-fi comedy film about a drug dealer, a sex worker, and a pimp who uncover a vast government conspiracy against their community. It's got a great cast, John Boyega, Tiana Paris, and a very flamboyant Jamie Foxx round out the offbeat trio of sleuths. It's also very stylish, it's set in the present day, but the overall aesthetic is giving 70s exploitation in a fun way. I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about Netflix's They Cloned Tyrone on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is Ronald Young Jr. He's the host of the film and TV review podcast, Leaving the Theater. Welcome back, Ronald. Hello, Aisha. Great to be here. Yes, yes. Also with us is NPR contributor Serena Torres. Hey, Serena. Welcome back to you, too. Hey, Aisha. They Cloned Tyrone. Uh I love this title. Mm-hmm. I hope you do too. It's so great. <laughs> it stars John Boyega as Fontaine, a ruthless street hustler in a primarily Black community known as The Glen. One night while handling his business, he's shot outside a motel by mysterious assailants, and then some odd otherworldly stuff starts happening, like people suddenly acting weird while eating fried chicken or getting a hair relaxer or drinking grape juice. With the help of Slick Charles, a pimp played by Jamie Foxx, and Yo-Yo, a sex worker played by Tiana Paris, Fontaine traces these occurrences to an underground experiment being run by, who else? The government. The movie is the feature debut of director Joel Taylor, who co-wrote the screenplay with Tony Rettenmeyer. It's streaming on Netflix now. So Ronald, let's start with you. Um, first of all, do you have any conspiracies that you are <laughs> that you believe might actually be true? And if so... What is it? <laughs> so I tend to not believe in conspiracies much anymore because I feel like the best ones are the ones that we just kind of interact with every day and say nothing about, for instance, capitalism. Yes. Like we, we just <laughs> like we're interacting with that every single day and no one calls it a conspiracy theory. And I'm like, that's what it is. But when people reach for the ones like 5G is actually making you sicker, I'm like, there's more obvious ones in front of you, like the bag of Doritos that we're probably all eating that have been infused with all kinds of nonsense. There's a conspiracy theory right there, but we don't talk about it much. (laughs) That being said, I loved this movie. I really did. I remember I watched it twice. And one thing I noticed was the second time that I watched it, I kind of forgot about this little moment where they're opening by talking about, there are three people talking outside of a convenience store. And one of them mentions that they saw Michael Jackson at the Piggly Wiggly. Yes. (laughs) Michael Jackson, huh? Yeah. Yeah, guess what I see at the dollar store? Who? Tupac. I'm dead ass serious, bro. This is my main work in the day shift at the Piggly Wiggly over on MLK, my own God. And I've heard that conversation, not that one specifically, but I've heard those guys talk about that type of thing before. And it kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It's a lot of fun and it's a lot smarter than it seems in a lot of fun ways. There's little things I picked up in the second viewing that I really, really enjoy. And I can't wait to unpack them with y'all. I've only seen it once, but I, I do get the sense that there's a lot that I probably missed the first time around. And I think it does, in, like you said, Ronald, maybe warrant a second viewing for sure to, to catch up on those small details there. Yeah. Serena, how about you? Are you 
are you into conspiracies? I, when you, when you asked Ronald that, that was my first thought too, was like, oh, well, capitalism is just a giant conspiracy. Yes, yes. But, We're, we all agree there. <laughs> Plus one. <laughs> but, but other than that, I'm not like hanging out on like Reddit forums or anything thinking about this pretty deeply. But I do love sci-fi as a genre more so than maybe like thrillers or government spy movies. And so to me, I thought this movie was going to be more of a like of a sci-fi kind of thing, and it wasn't, but I still really enjoyed it. And I think, too, because it is kind of this mystery that's unraveling, and there is a point, like, 45 minutes, hour into the film, where I was like, oh, I'm going to want to rewatch this, uh, you know, <laughs> yes. like what Ronald did. It takes a long time to get the gears rolling, but then, you know, when the flip happens, you are like, oh my god, that was important table setting, all of these lines serve a purpose. Yes. That Michael Jackson line, they say like, oh, I saw I saw him, but he was black again. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, when you say that about the gears rolling, the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, everything in this is important. Like, they're yeah. just, they're setting up thing by thing by thing, like, over and over again. And I mean, I, I'm sitting there like now, I'm like looking for the little uh, Easter eggs in there. There was one particular one when they find the underground lab. Yo-Yo, played by Tiana Paris, is messing around with the chemicals, and we don't ever see her do this, but she puts on the eyewear yes. to protect her eyes, <laughs> and she's messing with the chemicals, and you don't see it. You just see her playing with them, but she has eye protection on it. And I was like, this is this is just brilliant. Just little things like that, just brilliant. Yeah, I think, like, Tiana Paris's comedic performance here is kind of the showstopper. I love that each of these three characters is playing to a different genre type, like, she is in a, like, fun detective film. Yes, Nancy Drew. <laughs> yes, <laughs> several <exactly. times. laughs> Jamie Foxx as Slick Charles is kind of in, like, a hijinks comedy. Mm. And then John Boyega as Fontaine is in more of, like, a deeply serious high-stakes drama. Yeah. And yeah. I just love their chemistry. I loved how they pulled this off because, you know, on paper, I'm like, I don't know that this works. But these actors are bouncing off of each other in a way that is so infectious. Um one of my favorite scenes is when they all get into Fontaine's car together for the first time and start having a conversation. And they are just sniping yes. at each yes. other back and forth. <laughs> this is also a highly referential movie. And so they're making movie references. Um, you know, Yo-Yo yeah. talks about Kevin Bacon and Hollow Man. And Fontaine, <laughs> like me, didn't get that reference. But she's like turned to the back seat, like, you got that, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. You seen me last night? Not like that. Nah, like. Literally, you've seen me. Are you Kevin Bacon? Wait, what? Hollow Man. <laughs> that movie. was a good, good one. Good you good liked movie. it. You said good you liked movie. it. Good okay, movie. I picked that one. Right. You, uh, mm-hmm. um, I just felt like the beats of the dialogue was so sharp. This is such a chatty movie. Yeah. And it's quippy and great. Yeah. This is a movie that I found Ziggs. And then zags and then zigs again. And it takes all the genres that we're mentioning that you've already mentioned, Serena, and then add on like three or four more different layers there. Mm-hmm. Like I was getting a little bit of the spook who sat by the door, the great yes. sort of satire commentary on black militancy from the 70s. I was also getting some undercover brother in there. Like <laughs> there's a lot that's going on here. And I think that for the most part for me, it works up until a point where it get, I think it gets a little convoluted. But I love Tiana Paris. I also 
Jamie Foxx, come on now. Mm-hmm. He's doing work. He's doing work. He's a national treasure. <laughs> He's playing this pimp. And look, we've seen plenty of pimps on screen before. I don't know if he was, some of these were ad-libs, but just like line after line of his is just perfectly just executed. You know, there's a moment where he he's complaining about sending a ghost to a pimp or he or he's yes. or like <laughs> respect the cuticle. Like those little moments to me are kind of what makes this movie just keep rollicking and rolling even when you're not entirely sure what's happening. I do want to shout out Francine Jameson Tanchuk who is the costume designer for this. Mm. The costumes were fantastic. Jamie Foxx is in one scene he's wearing this kind of gold robe, like a satin robe and he <laughs> just looks perfect like it's great i actually didn't i didn't recognize tiana paris until like halfway through the movie because she i was so distracted by her blue lipstick and her like beautiful like over the knee yellow boots she looked so fabulous that i just like my eyes kept zeroing in on the costume and then when she changed costume i was like oh i recognize her from wandavision oh okay (laughs) yeah yes (laughs) there is a line that i want to point out that that jamie fox says in the car that was hilarious Mm. to me because tiana paris her character keeps talking about retiring from sex work and at one Mm -hmm. point she they find her as she has left Slick Charles temporarily and they find her and she says, I know I said I retired, but I need to get a little money before I go to Memphis. And a Slick Charles responds back, there it is. That slippery slope of recidivism. <laughs> I don't know why that line. It's just the way he delivers it is just so funny and you don't expect it to come out of this pimp's mouth in that moment. And I think that's why that chemistry that you were talking about, Aisha, like it's just, for me, even the parts where it gets really convoluted, like you said, the minute that they back off of that and they get back to them talking to each other and kind of like living through this world, I, I immediately said, I would watch another one of these to see the chemistry of these three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we've talked about how they work together as performers, but how does the layering and sort of the use of those tropes, whether it's the fried chicken, the grape juice, the hairy laxer, did that work for you? And as to what it was trying to say, we won't get too much into sort of the overall larger the twists that sort of reveal what exactly is happening. But do you feel as though these were kind of useful signifiers to use in this kind of conspiracy theory film? Well, I think it was. I think it was because one thing I noted about this movie was it was what I wanted bad hair and sorry to bother you to be. Mm. And those movies used the same types of tropes to talk about conspiracies and how black people are kind of drawn in because of these things. And this is something that you hear, especially as black Black person you hear from other black people all the time y'all eating all this fried food and chicken and all that and you're putting the creamy crack in your hair and the, the relaxer and all that stuff and they talk about yeah. that and this movie addresses them up front but it's doing it in a very tongue-in-cheek way because you know it also has women in the movie with natural hair or women in the movie with wigs you know what i mean like there's ways in mm-hmm. which they're also saying like everyone's not necessarily doing this thing and also black folks are smart enough to say we're not also going to engage in whatever the stereotypical items are in our community whatever the whatever the problems are in our community we don't necessarily have to willfully engage in them so i think they did a good way of both engaging them and also subverting them i take slight issue with you lumping sorry to bother you with bad hair but that's fine uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> that's fair i think sorry to bother you was was working on a slightly a more elevated level that but doesn't whatever. mean i don't like them to be no, clear no, I, I just I <laughs> but fair fair that's yeah. totally fair your view is yeah. your view <laughs> serena how how about you 
Yeah. You know, it actually, Aisha, made me think about one of the chapters in your book, Wannabe, where you're kind of like writing about representation and... Ooh, reference. Thank you. (laughs) You know, what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, you wrote about how like interiority is what elevates a minority character from a stereotype to a person. You know, as we were introduced to each of these characters, a drug dealer, a pimp, you know, a sex worker... I was kind of navigating, oh, well, they feel so full of life. The dialogue is so good. Mm. But, you know, as Black characters on screen, is it cliche for them to be prescribed to these roles? But as we go through the film, you know, I kind of realized like, oh, well, who they are on paper, their profession is not who they are as people. And the writing is so good at making them like three-dimensional people that I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm okay with this. But then it kind of dawns on you that they are given these specific professions for specific thematic reasons in the film. And that really, like, elevated it over the top for me. So I think, like, it worked on multiple levels of, I don't know, tropes exist for a reason. And I think if you can subvert them, it it helps with your message. Absolutely. And I think that, to me, is what really made it work. Because, you know, so often especially, you know, sort of uh, more uptight Black people (laughs) like to complain (laughs) about, why don't they all have to be pimps or, you know, whatever. And I think that what really worked for me is the fact that, like you said, Serena, there is a reason that's revealed later for why this is. And it's a reason that doesn't judge these characters, but it also is a very sharp critique, I think, of the larger system and the larger mm-hmm. the larger thing that is keeping people of color and especially black people in their community in certain roles that they wouldn't necessarily otherwise choose. I think it's really, really smart. But I do have a couple of caveats. I already mentioned sort of the ending feeling convoluted. I felt like there was a point where I was like, okay, and then there were there's another twist or another twist. And then I was like, wait, I don't think you need this like extra twist. I was already with you and now I'm confused. Mm. Even John Boyega in an interview said that he actually like he watched the film for the first time after filming it like two years later. And he was like, yeah, even I was confused. And I was like, yeah, that might be a slight problem. But my other thing is that there were moments, honestly, when the screen was too dark and I could Mm. not see. Mm -hmm. Problem. Again, I think this is not at all unique. This is a problem that we've all been experiencing for years now. But I think especially when you have Black actors and you have people working behind the scenes who are Black, you would think that you would take more care to make sure that it's not too dark. I adjusted my TV settings several times (laughs) and it just did not. I found a a setting that worked, but I was just like, I wish that I could see some of these scenes better because a lot of these scenes are shot at night or in dark rooms. And these are not light-skinned Black people. These are dark-skinned, beautiful dark-skinned Black people. So yeah, that, those are my one caveats. But how did the twist upon the twist upon the twist work for you all? I'll say two things. One, everyone needs to get the lighting people from Insecure to light everything <laughs> that includes dark-skinned Black people. I think they have like set the standard for what that can look like, even filming at night. So I think it's not like there's not a solution there. But also, like when I think about the twists, for me, I wasn't really invested. And this is going to sound like I didn't like it. I love this movie. But I wasn't really invested in who was pulling the strings at the end. I was only mm. invested in the journey. Yes. But as for like the main plot, mm. I guess for me, there were cool things that were happening. And they were like, well, this is the reason why this music is happening. And this is the reason why everyone's always eating fried chicken. And this is what's happening with the perm. Like all of that, this is a fun, legendary 
you know, kind of explanation. But when they started telling me why, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not too worried about that. It's, it's kind of the way I feel about <laughs> it's kind of the way I feel about John Wick, where I'm just like, just get to the shooting and the and yeah. the stairs and yeah. all that stuff. Please don't tell me any more about this world. I don't need to hear about it. Yeah, it sounds bad, but I also like wasn't super devoted to the plot. I think it was mostly well executed, but really I was here for the chemistry. I was here for the dialogue. I was here for the characters. There was a point in the movie where, you know, Slick Charles says like they're they're bringing in the cavalry. There's like this big climactic battle, except it wasn't like structurally the climax. I did check my runtime and I was like, oh my God, we have 30 more minutes. Like what's <laughs> going on here? So <laughs> that part felt great. You know, I was like you know, beaming, watching it. It felt so like cathartic. But then as they kind of like meticulously untangle the mystery, I was like, eh, I could believe that part. The payoff of the mystery didn't feel completely resolved. And, you know, maybe that's the point. Also, shout out to the rest of the cast, too. I think this community, the whole community feels really lived in, including, you know, all the people who work with Fontaine, his, like, henchmen mm-hmm. guys, and then David Allen Greer David shows Allen up Greer. as a pastor. Yes, I loved it. <laughs> and Jay Alphonse Nicholson, who is, I love him as Lil Murda on P-Valley. He also has a smaller role. It's just a great cast. It's a fun movie. People should check it out. It's well worth it and yeah let's just go watch it and if you have watched it let us know what you think about they cloned tyrone again mm-hmm. i just love saying that uh <laughs> find us at facebook.com slash pchh and that brings us to the end of our show serena toros ronald young jr thanks so much for being here it was a pleasure oh what a delight <laughs> great talking with y'all this episode was produced by hafsa fatima and edited by jessica reedy hello come in provides our theme music And thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Aisha Harris, and we'll see you all tomorrow. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me, and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.